It's Thursday, August 24, 2023. This is the Hermetic Hour, and I'm your host, Polk Runyon. And tonight we feature a reading of the original introduction to the autobiography of your host, myself, Polk Runyon. This is a fictionalized version in which I, the fiction writer, Polk Runyon, interviews Thabian the Wizard. In other words, I'm interviewing myself. I decided on this literary device so that I could use fictitious names for people in the book who might not like what I had to say about them. But at this date, most of those who might have been offended have passed away, so the fictionalizing device is no longer necessary. And yet the original is interesting and entertaining in its own right. It's a good exercise in getting to know yourself. So let's get right on into it. The first part of the book is called Gentleman of the Old School, and the second half is called The Wizard of Law. That's L.A. And originally I thought it was, the whole book was going to be The Wizard of Law, so the title is The Wizard of Law by Marion Doc Rowland as told to Pope Runyon. Okay, in the beginning, we start now. Believe it or not, I used to live in Hollywood. I used to live in Hollywood when I was first getting into screenwriting, and and, and I had already published a couple of uh, novels in New York. And so we start this off with with Polk living in Hollywood, and and we skip way way ahead in time, and have Doc Rowland living out in Silverado. So that's the scene that we're setting. It started with a call from my, my New York agent. I just got a, off the phone with Dizzy over at his and hers. They're looking for a nonfiction book on a real live wizard, kind of a biography. Do you know one out there? I replied, oh, come on, this is Hollywood. We got lots of them. What type of a real live wizard does Dizzy want, I asked. He wants a grown-up Harry Potter with a robe and a wand, a male witch, I guess. Southern California ought to be the good place to find one. Well, I reflected on this. New Yorkers believed that all of us out here were weird and on occasion psychotic. We believed that all New Yorkers were rude, crude, and soulless money grubbers. We each enjoyed reinforcing our stereotypes. Something like Barbara Walters interviews Gandalf. I was fishing for guidelines. Yeah, I like that. But be careful about affiliations. Some of these New Age gurus are already tied up with other publishers or big outfits like Scientology. Dizzy wants a clean property, no legal complications. So find a guy who is the real deal and does his own thing. You got it? Well, I guess so. This is going to be complicated, I thought. And two more things. Stay away from mainstream religions. <clears throat> this guy should be some sort of a pagan, but not a Satanist. At least not with horns and a pitchfork like that LeVay character. Well, so we offend as few as possible, I surmised. Wondering when the guys at H&H were going to rename their house from his and hers and call it just theirs. Right, my agent agreed. No druggies and no nutcases, he added. Well, that really makes it complicated, I surmised. <laughs> that narrows it down quite a bit, I murmured. How soon do you need something on this? Well, like yesterday, my agent said, but you can fax me a one-pager tomorrow. Well, I knew that this project was worth developing. H&H &H was several cuts above the outfit publishing my sci-fi epics. 
As a science fiction author and aspiring screenwriter in Hollywood, I was familiar enough with alternative cultures and lifestyles to suspect that there were intelligent adults who seriously practiced magic, alchemy, and the other arcane arts. The assignment would not be a problem of discovery, but of selection. Well, I tell you what, I'll finish my coffee and get right on it, I said. And that afternoon, I was in North Hollywood visiting a backstreet occult shop called Raven's Roost. The dark interior was walled with shelves jammed with books on witchcraft, magic, tarot, and astrology. Display cases sparkled with silver jewelry nestled on black velvet. A pungent haze of incense smoke hung in the air, and music vaguely resembling Tibetan throbbed just above the audible range. A black-bearded giant with a shaved head and, a, and dragon tattoos on each swollen bicep was minding the counter. Afternoon business was slow. Can I help you with something, he asked, in a European accent, approached the counter. Well, I hope so, I said, and I introduced myself. Well, I'm the owner. Call me Ivan, he informed me. On the drive to Raven's Roost, I had considered several cover stories, but none that would successfully con conceal my meager knowledge of real wizardry. I had decided to play it almost straight. Ivan, I'm a science fiction writer, I admitted, and I'm doing research for a new book, and it's going to be, and it's, and it's, and it's going to be a cut above the usual sword and sorcery stuff. I want to meet a real wizard and pick his brain, if you'll let me. Oh, the real wizard, he asked, while lowering his dark eyebrows and giving me a carnivorous bull of a goosey smile. Yeah, a real wizard, a guy who really knows his stuff and does it. A Kabbalist, he suggested. Well, isn't that Jewish? I remembered my agent's prescription against mainstream religions. Well, it depends on how you spell it, Ivan said. K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H is Jewish. C-A-B-A-L-A is Christian. And Q-A-B-A-L-A-H is Hermetic. What's Hermetic? Well, I thought I knew, but I decided to ask. Hmm, Ivan mused darkly. Before you meet a real ceremonial magician, you might want to do some homework. I intend to, I agreed. What do you suggest? Ivan led me to a bookshelf and pulled out a trade paperback with a dull greenish cover. The Black Arts by Richard Cavendish came out in 1967, and it's been in print ever since, he told me. First published by G.P. Putnam. I noticed it was a good house. Okay, I said. Back at the counter, he entered the sale. After I read this, who should I contact, I queried. Ivan wrote something on a notepad, ripped it off the top sheet, and handed it to me. It was a web domain and an email address, no name. I inserted it into the book, thanked him, and left the shop. Back at my Hollywood apartment, I put on a big pot of coffee and settled into my easy chair. First, I'd read the book to find out what a real wizard ought to be, and then I would go online and see if Ivan had put me onto one, and hopefully one who would get by H&H's legal and politically correct restrictions. I read until 3.30 in the morning, awoke at 10, and brewed more coffee, and by mid-afternoon I had put the book down and went to the computer. I had skimmed over the chapter on astrology, numerology, and alchemy, concentrating on magic. 
Cavendish did not use the arcane spelling, M-A-G-I-C-K. I also studied the related subjects of Kabbalah, ritual magic, and devil worship. The last was included so that I could differentiate the Satanists from the Hermetics and the pagans. Now I knew the occult meaning of the term Hermetic. It referred to the tradition of the mythical Hermes Trismegistus, a composite of the Egyptian god Thoth, the Greek god Hermes, Hermetic philosophy combined Gnostic and Neoplatonic mystical conceptions. It was developed in the early years of the Common Era as the last expression of classical paganism. Hermeticism went on to become the secret religion of alchemists, astrologers, and magicians in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. And even the so-called Rosicrucians were hermetic. 500 years ago, the Jewish Kabbalah, K-A-B-B-L-A-L-A-H, with modifications had been added to hermetic philosophy. The resulting synthesis had a strong influence on the Freemasonic Brotherhood and the beginnings of Western science. Isaac Newton had been a hermetic student and an alchemist. My real wizard ought to be of this hoary tradition in order to qualify for true wizardhood. I keyed in the domain name from a slip of paper Ivan had given me on the shop, and I watched as a purple field of color filled the monitor screen. Black and white pillars decorated with spiraling serpents flanked the homepage. An Egyptian winged sun disk displayed the website's menu. I decided to put off exploring the whole domain and find out right away if the wizard in residence would meet our legally unencumbered and politically correct requirements. I went directly to the magister's page. A photo of a white-bearded, 60-ish gentleman dressed in black, holding an ornate sword and wearing a silver pentagram medallion appeared flanking a short biographical sketch. Frater Fabian, Frater being Latin for brother, claimed to have been a former Green Beret, a student of ninjutsu, and a yachtsman. He then established his sanity and sagacity by stating that he was a romantic and a gentleman of the old school, which he defined as one who writes classical poetry to heartless beauties while wrestling alligators. Well, this made me feel better. I would be uncomfortable interviewing a wizard who took himself too seriously. He was credited with a master's degree in anthropology from California State University. His occult credentials included intensive instructions in Tibetan tantric magic from lamas of the Tibetan Sakya tradition, all the degrees of Scottish, Scottish Rite and York Rite in Freemasonry, and previous officer status in three temples of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He was the author of Secrets of the Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscript, a definitive book on the original chartering document upon which the Victorian age granddaddy of all modern hermetic magic had been based. He also claimed to have discovered or rediscovered the use of facial reflection distortion in the dark mirror to evoke spirits of visible appearance. He had authored a book on this method and narrated an instructional how-to-do-it video. If all this was not too, not self-pathologizing, then Fabian could be my wizard. The only problem might be his organization. His initiatory order of the Temple of Astarte, of which he was the Archimage, 
that's the chief wizard, was sponsored by an overgroup that called itself the Church of the Hermetic Sciences Incorporated. And apparently CHS published his books and produced his videos. Now what sort of problems could we have with them, I wonder? And with this reservation duly noted, I decided to Google search for other Southern California wizards and apply the same criteria. In a few hours, I had narrowed my field down to two other local candidates who seemed as well qualified as Fabian, at least in wizardry, but not in the other criteria. Both were authors whose books were currently offered, offered by New Age publishers, indicating probable complications. And one was a senior officer in an international occult organization. I was sure that would be a no-no. So I decided to contact Fabian. I emailed him to arrange a meeting, giving him my phone number. When he called me the next morning, I carefully broached the subject of the Hermetic Church that published his books and produced his videos. What was his relation to it? He replied that he was the founding president and the chairman of the board. Then he asked me some pol polite questions. Who was my agent? Which publisher was interested? And finally, what titles of mine were available for him to read? Thrillmaster, I told him, wondering if he'd ever heard of it. Oh, I've read it, he replied. You know something about magic. Most science fiction writers do it like Dungeons and Dragons. Well, yeah, Jack Vance really started something back in 1950, I commented. Dying Earth, wasn't it? Fabian asked. Right, I confirmed. Vance's fantasy classic had featured a system of magic very similar to that later employed in the D&D &D game playing craze. So far, so good. He gave me directions to his retreat in the Santa Ana Mountains of Orange County. We would do lunch on the morrow. South of the city of Orange lies the Cleveland National Forest. Most Americans do not realize that there are small private communities hidden inside our national forests that provide ideal rustic retreats for artists, writers, and, of course, wizards. After driving nine miles along a winding country road through rolling foothills covered with gold, golden grass and gray-green oak trees, I came to the turnout for the canyon. Another five miles on a narrower road into the deep valley, past horse corrals, a fire station, and the sun-weathered, rusting ruins of an ancient turkey ranch brought me to what had once been a thriving mining town over 100 years ago. Now it was just a few nondescript sun-baked buildings lining either side of the road, a post office, a general store, and an old-fashioned roadhouse. It was a sleepy little one-horse town, and the one horse and rider clipped, clopped along the side of the road as I passed. I pulled into the lot beside the roadhouse and parked between a pickup truck and a backhoe. Inside, sitting on bar stools, were two sun-dried, raisin-faced locals in worn Levi jackets watching a baseball game on TV over the bar. An attractive barmaid busied herself polishing glasses. I scanned the booths lining the far wall in the darkest corner, furthest from the television, sat a lone figure, silver-haired and bearded, a stocky old grizzly bear in a t-shirt in and khaki shorts, more Hemingway than Gandalf. He smiled and waved me over. We shook hands, and I settled into the booth. The wizard introduced himself. I'm Marion Rowland, but everybody calls me Doc. My magical name is Thabion. 
he raised one finger, and the barmaid appeared like magic, or magic, M-A-G-S-C-K. We both ordered hamburgers and Sam Adams beer. You're really in the boonies out here, I observed, deciding to open with small talk. Well, this is an elite community, the wizard explained. We have covenants and restrictions. Everybody has to have at least one junk car or truck rusting away in their front yard. The beer came first, and as we sipped, the wizard got down to business. What do you think magic is, he asked. The process of changing things process of changing things according to your will, I offered. Remember something I had gleaned from reading Cavendish. Well, you got one out of three, he said. It's the art of causing changes changes in consciousness in accordance with the will. Three things here are important, art, consciousness, and will. But can't you affect the outcome of things outside yourself? In magic, there is nothing outside of yourself. But it's a long, long space flight between your right ear and your left ear. I pondered the implications of that while we munched our burgers and sipped our beer. You make it sound like kind of ori- kind of like oriental mysticism, I said. He nodded. Kabbalah and hermetic philosophy are both forms of oriental mysticism. The only real difference between Tibetan Tantra and hermetic magic is that the Buddhists believe that everything is illusion, whereas hermetics believe that everything, including what we imagine, is some aspect of its very tenuous reality, beyond which the only substantial reality is that which never changes. Do you ever do, did you ever do Zen, I asked? No, I did Tibetan Tantra. Compared to Zen, it's the short way. With a Tibetan guru, I dared to ask? Well, you read my bio on the website. Yeah, but I thought there was an acceptable fudge factor in this business, I replied in a light tone, smiling. He smiled back, but not with his eyes. We call it glamour, but when I say I've done something, I've done it. I changed the subject. How about miracles? Isn't that magic? Roland smiled indulgently. The universe is a miracle. A bumblebee can't fly, but it does. Isn't that a miracle? I smiled condescendingly. You're putting me on, I said. You want me to do something supernatural for you, he offered? Sure, I said. The wizard took a book of matches out of his pocket. He sat up straight, rolled his eyes up to focus into into his forehead, then huffing a series of belly-deep yoga breaths, he scratched a match into flame, holding it between his right thumb and forefinger, and he held it up to his to his left hand as if he were about to uh, karate chop the table. And while I watched intently, he put the burning match head up against the heel of his hand and then very slowly moved it along, still burning, out to the tip of his little finger. He blew out the flame. Don't try that at home, he, he advised. Oh, I won't, I agreed. Well, do you think that was magic, he asked me, in a serious tone that I sensed would require a serious answer. Well, I think it's magic without the K, I answered. The wizard beamed a reassuring smile. His eyes twinkled with satisfaction, like Santa Claus pleased with one of his elves. Lunch is on me, he said, again conjuring the waitress. Let's go on up the road to Rivendell, and I'll give you the tour, he he offered. The wizard had walked down to the roadhouse from the place he called Rivendell, and he gave me a 
and I gave him a lift back up the road to his retreat. Before seeing the house, I had mixed feelings about his opting the name Rivendell, which was the forest home of the elves in J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy epic, The Lord of the Rings. Even if he could legally refer to his home by that name, it seemed improper, whether or not he was deriving any of his magic from Tolkien's books. I asked him about that, and I got a frank answer. I named the place back in 1997 with no idea how popular the films were going to be. I'm really not a fanatic Tolkien fan, and we don't do Middle-earth magic. I read the Ring series 30 years ago, and Rivendell stayed in my memory as the kind of a magical retreat where I would want to live. So when I first saw this place, I knew that's what I, that's what I had to name it. Back in the 1960s, so much of Tolkien's lore had become part of the subculture that it seemed permissible. When you see it, you'll understand, he explained. We turned off the main road, driving through an, an open wrought iron gate, which was set in the hedgerow, and into a large gravel-paved parking area. From the parking lot, I could hear water gurgling and rushing over the rocks. Ancient sycamores and gnarled oaks surrounded us on all sides. We walked across the bridge that spanned a creek and led to the inner grounds of what appeared to be a small estate. Across the bridge, I found myself in another world. The house was a tree-shrouded, rustic, three-story wooden castle built into, the, built into and rising up against the steep canyon wall. The slope had been terraced with five levels of stonework overgrown with ivy, the highest level supporting a patio on a summer house, which looked down over the lower grounds, flanking the broad plate of stairs up to the manse was a swimming pool, a rock garden, and a koi pond. And on the second terrace, against the house, was a screened aviary holding several turtle doves. Down to the right, and centered in the wide expanse of the yard, rose a circular ceremonial wooden hinge, comprised of eight upright poles topped with horned crests, upon which were painted planetary symbols. The grass surrounding the magic circle was worn down. The bare earth was tramped down by hundreds of dancing feet. Elves in the moonlight came to mind. Just beyond the huge hinge was a veiled pavilion and that might have accommodated an oriental con evoking the pleasure dome on the river Alf, Coldridge. As we approached the house, I noticed an entrance on the ground floor, stained glass windows, flanked a door with a brass speakeasy peephole at the at eye level, the temple I surmised. I looked up above the third story and I could see the observatory deck reached by a ship's ladder from the balcony below. And from this eerie, a large astronomical telescope was aimed at the, at the heavens. The whole compound must have covered an acre, but the towering sycamores and brooding oaks obscured an overall view. It certainly was a forest retreat, fit for elves and wizards. I forgave the naming of Rivendell. I would have christened it or paganed it Rivendell myself. We climbed three flights of steps to the second floor entrance. The wizard invited me into a foyer with a cathedral ceiling, and from there we climbed another two flights of steps to the great hall. And this was 
an expansive living area with French doors leading out to the deck overlooking the creek. The high ceiling was raftered with oak beams, and there was a large fireplace under the skylight. There were bookshelves and artwork lined the walls, and what artwork? Pagan goddesses and nymphs in a surrealistic setting. Yours, I ask, obviously impressed. My host shook his head with a wistful expression. My master's work, Frederick Adams, he said. Beautiful, I commented truthfully. He's our postmodern William Blake. And like William Blake, nobody is going to give a damn about his work until long after he's gone. You're a pessimist, I observed. I'm a romantic, he replied. And that's the label our media pinned on Newt. Oh, but that's the label our media pinned on Newt Gingrich. That's what makes me a pessimist. Well, you're a Republican. The wizard gave me a cynical squint. Right-wingers and left-wingers only fly in circles. I have both wings so I can fly in any direction I choose. He raised his bushy brows and made a little flapping motions with his fingers in both hands. Can I quote you on that? Well, that's what you're here for, isn't it? He said, inviting me to sit on a couch with a courtly gesture. It would be boyish to skip the preliminary business aspects of our collaboration, and it would be stylish to skip the preliminary business aspects of our collaboration and use the above as a direct transition into, so tell me, how did you become a wizard? But this would not be fair to the wizard himself. As an author, publisher, and video documentary producer, he was not about to tell me his life story in some to some hack with a minor science fiction novel to his credit without brokering a mutually satisfactory deal. He decided that it would be a co-authored book, or we decided to be a co-authored book entitling us to uh, to equal rights and considerations from the publisher. We would both proof the galleys before publication. If, after two years of submissions, it did not sell, the wizard and I would publish it ourselves on the same agreement. Of course, all of this had to be run through my agent and the wizard's attorney. Our plan for the book was to change the names of real people mentioned in the story to protect the innocent and avoid legal, legal repercussions from the not-so-innocent, but to otherwise make it a true account. And so, 10 days later, again sitting on the wizard's couch, I finally asked the question, so, tell me, how did you become a wizard? The same way shamans become shamans, he said. I had a serious illness, almost died. I went temporarily insane. I had a vision, and when I recovered, I was a sorcerer, and it was 1969, and that was a good year for, for sorcerers. You are not a wizard? No. Sorcerers only know how to do magic. Wizards know how, but they also know why. And after I became a sorcerer, it took me many years to become a wizard. If there's one thing that wizards know that sorcerers don't know, what would it be, I asked, trying to pin the wizard down to specifics. The Maj paused to reflect before answering. You recall our lunch at the roadhouse? The thing you did with the match? He shook his head. No. What I said, in magic there is nothing outside of yourself, but it's a long space flight between your right ear and your left ear. I don't quite get that, I admitted. Do you know what the term solipism means? I thought deeply before answering. The personal self is the only reality of it. 
he nodded. At the nadir, a solipist could be a dangerous sociopath, and at the zenith, he might be a saint. Where would a wizard be on that scale, I asked? He could be saintly if he liked you, the archimage replied with a bland smile and a mischievous twinkle in his eye. If you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him, I muttered. You're beginning to get it, he agreed. But remember, hermetic magic is not Buddhism. We believe every human being is equally ensouled by a universal divinity, which makes us all aspects of that one divinity. And that divinity is the only true reality. Discovering and uncovering this divine light within yourself is what is called enlightenment. Wizards are enlightened. Sorcerers haven't gotten there yet. I nodded. All is Brahman, I philosophized again. Namaste, the Magus replied. I gave him a quizzical glance. The God within me salutes the God within you, he translated. Okay, let me rephrase the question. How did you become a sorcerer? Hmm, the sage mumbled in reflection. We can blame it all on my mother. The Bible, Chanel Number no. 5, Boxing Gloves and Bacon Grease, he said, glancing up at the skylight. I turned on my tape recorder and picked up my notebook. Tell me about your mother, I asked, using an Austrian accent. I'm afraid you'll a strike, he quipped with some affectation. Oedipus complex? Oh, no, more of an identity crisis, he smiled. My family argued over what to call me, and like Ulysses on the beach, I didn't know who I was or what I was. Well, that's that's where we end the introduction. And um, I'd like to make a few remarks about that. We didn't uh, mention in the introduction the derivation of the, of the magical name Fabian. Now, some people have heard that, and they think they think that it's a knockoff on Therion, which was uh, which was Crowley's magical name. And Therion means beast, of course, in, in Greek. But Fabion, T H A B I O N, Fabion was the first priest of the ancient Phoenicians, according to the to the theology of the Phoenicians by Sancho Neato, who was a Syrian Neoplatonic, Phoenician Neoplatonic philosopher, uh, the fourth century. So that's where, and our, ours is, is a Phoenician Canaanite pagan tradition, and so I chose Fabian as my magical name, and that answers that question. And this um, device, of course, this fictional device, we're not going to use it in the book, but still, we are going to fictionalize some of the names in my autobiography are going to be fictionalized because I have known some very interesting and in some cases some very sensitive uh, individuals have, have had sensitive relationships. And, and so consequently, we are going to fictionalize some names in the, in the autobiography, which, by the way, we're in the process of writing right now. I don't want to go too much further into this, uh, but I do want to recommend that uh, if you've enjoyed uh, this tonight, I think you would probably enjoy reading uh, our two yoga books, Volume 1 and Volume 2 of Hermetic Yoga, and the second volume of Shorsakushin Yoga. And there's a lot more about my life and experiences in those books. They're both available. That's Hermetic Yoga, Volume 1, and Hermetic Yoga Volume 2, and they're both available from pokerunion.com. That's our bookstore. And 
Next week we'll be back, hopefully with another live show, and uh, uh, we'll see you then. And meanwhile, good night.